please turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Uh, before I, I read, I did want to make sure that you were aware, uh, just to be praying uh, for uh, Wayne and uh, Peggy Tucker. Uh, they went up um, to see uh, Beth and Bob uh, yesterday. Uh, that Beth was in, in the hospital, and uh, I don't know the full details yet, but just be praying for them. Pray that God would be gracious to, to them, and they'd be an encouragement to both Beth and Bob. Um, Lord willing, we'll have some more information uh, for this evening's service. We'll open uh, your Bibles to Romans chapter uh, 6, uh, starting in the first verse. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, that in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we who have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, must, you, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you, make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as sin, to sin as instruments for right, unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for for showing up already in this service. God, we thank you for your grace uh, that we get to proclaim and hear now. Uh, Father, we pray that this this grace that frees us, that frees us from sin's power, will be alive in our service today. God, we pray that you would be gracious and kind uh, to the Tucker family, to Wayne and Pecky as they travel to Pennsylvania. Father, I pray that you would be, um, be with Bob and, and Beth. God, we pray that you continue to grant your healing hand upon them. God, uh, strengthen um, Wayne and Peggy with your words, that they may be an encouragement to them. God, we thank you so much for this service. We thank you so much for this church. God, what a, what a gift. What a gift you have uh, given us in each other. God, we pray that you would bless our congregation, that you f- would fill us with your spirit. But God, we also pray that you would bring people into our church. God, there are many people in our city who are lost, who don't know you, uh, who are not connected to a fellowship. God, we pray for fruit uh, in our outreach efforts in this Come See Me um, festival. Father, we pray that you would sovereignly ordain people to interact with us who want to hear your story, that it could be their story, that they may be saved by your grace. 
So God, we ask now that you just bless your preaching. God, I pray that I hide behind the cross. I pray that um, your name is glorified in all that is said here today. And God, we pray that you would speak to your people, even through the ordinances, the ordinances of baptism uh, and the Lord's Supper. Uh, Be with us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, America is one of the greatest countries in the world. Amen? Uh, I love this country, uh, and so does our world. Uh, as, much, as many people may think that America is outcast in our, in our world, uh, America um, has always been an attractive destination uh, for immigrants from around the world. Uh, immigra- Im- immigration may be a hot political issue, uh, but no one can deny that our country has been built on the backs of immigrants. My ancestors loaded all their belongings in a handmade trunk that sits in my house today um, from Nor- and set sail in the late 1800s from Norway. And like my ancestors, people come from all, the, all over the, the world to this great country. Our country declared their independence on July 4th, 1776. Uh, this young country had to soon to make a decision. How are we going to bring in immigrants to our great nation? This idea that was becoming America. Well, they decided that if people wanted to become a citizen, they had to take an oath, an oath of allegiance to the United States. So on May 30th, 1778 at Valley Forge, just outside of Philadelphia, uh, immigrants took their first oath. Well, immigrants are still taking oath when they want to become citizens of our country. Uh, Our current oath of allegiance says this, I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, protonate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have been therefore been a subject or a citizen. Now listen, that I will support and defend the Constitution and law of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by the law. I will perform non-combatant service of the armed forces of the United States when required by law. That I will perform work of the national importance under civilian direction when required by the law. I take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, so help me God. That's a pretty strong oath, don't you think? So in order to become a citizen of the United States of America... An immigrant has to renounce any allegiance or fidelity to a foreign power. Then they have to pledge their tr- a true faith, using that word, and allegiance to this country. You may see where I'm going. The same is true for those who enter, want to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. What Tony did today as, as, as in his baptism was a sign. Uh, Tony is publicly declaring that he is renouncing all foreign authorities over his life. Sin no longer has authority over his life. See, baptism, as you'll find in our outline, is the Christian rite of initiation into the kingdom of God. Now, we know as Baptists that baptism doesn't save us, but it's a picture that we have been saved. And I truly believe this. I believe that in our country, if churches understood baptism, 
there would be churches across our land full of healthy, vibrant Christians growing in Christ for the glory of God. But I think because we misunderstand baptism, we're full of churches who don't understand what it means to pledge full allegiance to God. So I pray this morning uh, that we're going to talk about what is, what is the picture of baptism and communion? How does, how does it picture that we are now united with Christ? So if you look in, in the text from uh, this morning's sermon, Romans 6, 1, Paul's making the argument, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Uh, Paul just made this great argument. It says, If you want to be saved, it's all by grace. Just like Tony's testimony. It's not by my work. It's not by my effort. I'm only saved by the grace of God. So people were bound to think, well, if I'm saved by grace, doesn't that mean I can do whatever I want? That I can live any which way I want? And, and God's, just, God's grace is going to increase, so I might as well do it. Well, those of you who are shaking your heads obviously think that that's not true. But a lot of people in our country have had a salvation experience But they feel that because they're saved, they can still live any which way they want. And Paul very emphatically says, by no means. That was the wake-up call for the children um, up there. But they said, it's emphatic, by no means. I mean, he's hot under the collar here. How could you think that? And then he makes his argument very clearly, which is the first point, that the baptism is marked by Jesus' death, by Jesus' death. Verse 3, at the end of verse 2, How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus? So the picture we just saw, those who were baptized into Christ Jesus, right? We're fulfilling the Great Commission, baptizing in the name of Christ Jesus. We're baptized into death. And that's the picture, isn't it? When, 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 when Tony, up there, he went under the water. That meaning if I left him there, what would have happened? He would have been dead. By God's grace, he's not there today. He's thanking me for that. But he's under the water. That's the picture. That's why, that's why I think it's the most biblical way is baptism by immersion. We go under the water, meaning that we are identifying with Christ's death. Christ Jesus died for me. That's the picture of baptism. We die. Our old life has now been crucified. Tony stands up and says, I no longer have any other allegiance but the Lord Jesus Christ. His desires have changed. His habits have to change. His goals have to change. That's what happens when we become Christians. We change by the grace of God. We are covered. Early on when I was a young Christian, I remember going back to my hometown. And uh, I'm a very visual person, and I just kind of connect thoughts to places. And I was driving through my hometown of Palatine, Illinois, and I just saw places that reminded me of my sin, things I did when I wasn't a Christian. And you know what happened? I, ha- I had this shame come over me, right, of the, of the person I was. Uh, and I, sh- I kept that shame. I was a young Christian. I didn't understand how to deal with that shame. It wasn't until I grounded myself in the Word and I realized what conversion really is. When I give myself to the Lord Jesus Christ, all that shame that I had, that was in the old Dave Keene. That's not me. The old Dave Keene has been crucified with Christ. 
I am a new creation. I am in Christ. I'm united with Him. When God looks at me, He sees someone who is forgiven, who is clean. That's a great picture. So those of you who struggle with past, past sins, can I encourage you to do this? When, when, when the evil one, and he does this, tries to condemn you with your former sins, brings things to mind, can I just tell you to put up the shield of faith and say, I'm with Jesus. I'm with Jesus. Jesus has taken away my shame. He has made me clean. Do not listen to the lies of the evil one. We struggle with sin, yes, but is our life any, any longer characterized by sin? No. Right? We do everything we can to live for the glory of God. Sin is stripped of its power. You can see that picture in verses 6 and 7. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that would no longer be enslaved to sin. It's, it's the picture that sin now has no power over you. Sin has no power over you, church. True Christians cannot allow sin to reign in their bodies. True Christians live for the glory of God. I think about this, and you know, imagine sin being, you're in the military, and sin being your superior officer, right? It has all the the, the accolades in his uniform, the stripes on his shoulders, and he told you to do something, and what do you do when your commanding officer tells you to, to do something? You do it, right? You obey that nature. It's what, what happened in your crucifixion uh, with Christ is that you came and you rip off his, um, his rank, and you are now over him, so you no longer have to listen to him. It is stripped of all his power. Well, the second thing we see here is not only marked by Jesus' death, it's marked by his life. Look back in verse 3, or verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was what? Raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. There's a change that happens at conversion. Baptism is, is a symbol of that change. Right? So if you notice, people walk in from this side, and they walk out that side. They don't go back to their former way of life. Now, many of you may not believe this because you know me now as a pastor, but I used to have a bad, bad potty mouth. I used to use a lot of foul language. My wife, it's hard for her to believe because she didn't meet me when, when I was using that language. But I love to be the life of the party. I love to make people laugh. And I realize that there are certain words you can use that make people laugh louder at certain times. You guys have probably have been around those people. I was that person. So when I came to Christ, I had to make a choice. God says he doesn't want us to, to, to have profane talk coming from our mouth. You know, salt water and spring water can't come from the same spring. I needed to change. But for me, someone who loves to make people laugh, I had to change my whole sense of humor. I had to change all my jokes. You know what? I'm glad I did. I'm not sure if you guys think that has happened yet, but I'm working on it. My wife says I have about four years of material to make people laugh, and then I typically have to move. So you either have to give me some more material or just keep laughing at the same jokes over the years. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Thank you. Um, 
But the, the, the picture is, is I've been, it, it's Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live in flesh, by, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, but the third point, it's not only marked by Jesus' death and life, it's marked by Jesus' people, right? It's marked by us. See, the reason why, I'm not sure if you keep on reading this whole section, if you read it again later this afternoon, you'll see one word always being repeated. We, we, we. I'm going I'm to say this until I'm blue in the face. You were not saved for yourself. You were saved to become part of a people, become a part of a body of Christ, become part of a family. The reason why baptism was not given to everybody, but it's given to the local church, is that we know that Tony's a Christian. Meeting with him for four months to, to make sure that he understands this faith, asking questions. Now, he was a Christian back in September 2011, but he's just hungry to grow. And now he stands in front of us and tells you his commitment. And then you stand and you make your commitment back to him. Now, imagine if Tony went to Myrtle Beach on vacation. He's there for a week and he says to the pastor, hey, I'd love to be baptized. So Tony goes through this whole spiel. He comes up, he shares his testimony, he's baptized there. And then he never returns to that church. Is that good for Tony? And is that good for you? Well, no. Because now how can anybody hold Tony accountable? You know, I'm not the, the kind of pastor who, if you miss a week of church, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bang on your door. You know, two weeks, I may pray for you. I may, hey, how, how you doing? Is everything okay? But if you're gone for a month, I may say, hey, what's going on? Are you still okay? Because if you don't come to church, what you're doing is you're opening yourself up to, to be affected by sin. You may not be in sin, but you may be in danger of committing sins, or you may be following sin. I don't know about you, but when I'm really struggling with sin, where's the last place you want to be? Church. Who's, who's the last people you want to be around? Church people. Why? Because every time you enter into their presence, you feel this conviction. This is why I told the church last week on Easter Sunday is that if you're not part of a church, I don't think you can fulfill the Great Commission. Because if you're not actively part of a church, how can you invite anyone to church? You know in your heart that you should invite people because that's how people hear the word, and that's how people are saved, but you're not going, so I, don't, I can't invite anybody because I'm not going, so you can't fulfill the commission. But Tony stood up to us, and you stood up and said, I commit to you, and you commit to him. Now, it's, now it's, there's, there's a unity here. It's all in the local church. Well, not only is baptism that way. Baptism is the entrance, is the, there's a Christian rite of initiation. Uh, well, then we have communion. Point number two, which is the Christian rite of remembrance. Christian rite of remembrance. You know, the way I was thinking about it this week, it's almost like if you break that word remembrance, it's remembering. You are remembering. You are becoming, you're thinking again what it means to be part of the body of Christ. What does it mean to be a member of the body of Christ? So just like if you understand baptism, our churches will be full of spiritual people, Christians, regenerate church membership, people who are actually born again. But here's the thing. If we understand the Lord's Supper, communion, that what what this picture means, we will have a healthy church because we will love one another. We need to think again what happens in communion. So just very briefly, uh, 
Christian rite of remembrance is marked by Jesus' death. When we come to the table, what do we think? That Christ's body was broken for us. His blood was spilled for us. We realize that we are sinners and deserving of condemnation by God. But we experience that grace that we have been saved. So every time you partake in the Lord's Supper, you are again identifying yourself with Christ's death. Now, not only is it, is it Christ's death, but it's also His life. That next point, it's marked by Jesus' life. Every time we come to the table, it's our commitment again to live for Jesus. It's our commitment again to be an instrument of righteousness. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, starting in verse 12, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make it obey its passions. So he's, he, had, he had a bunch of facts, and then he talks about imperatives, commands. Verse 13, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. There's this picture. You're, you're not presenting yourself to, to sin any longer. You're presenting yourself to God. Communion is your offering to God. You are making an offering back to God. God, I am yours. You, your body was broken for me. Your blood was spilled for me. I am yours. I no longer want to live for sin. I want to live for righteousness. That's the picture. It goes on. We want to live as, as members of the body. And then it says this, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, do we all struggle with sin? Yes, we all struggle with sin. Now, he says something very specific here. We want to be an instrument of righteousness. We want to do good things for the Lord. We want to work for God's glory. And we do it through our members, through our eyes. So we come to the table and I say, Lord, I haven't been looking at things I should look at. My eyes have been impure. God, I commit again to live in purity because those who are pure in heart will see God. Maybe it's with my hands. I have done things that are, that are not becoming of a Christian. Lord, I take my hands and I no longer want to serve myself. I want to serve the body of Christ. I take my feet. Maybe I've gone places I shouldn't have gone. And since the last time we celebrated the table, say, Lord, forgive me for walking in a way that is not becoming of a Christian. God, I commit myself again to you. We don't need to have you come down the aisle every, every couple of years to recommit yourself to Christ. We do it every time we take the Lord's Supper. This is why, those of you who know me, I want to encourage you all the time with my tongue. Why? Because my tongue was used for so much evil. I hurt people with it. I profaned God. I profaned others. So I want my tongue to speak about the glories of God. I want my tongue to encourage the people of God. And I praise God that I had that opportunity week in and week out. Because every time I do, it's a reminder that I am not who I was. I pray that happens every time we take this supper. Uh, and the last one is Jesus is marked by Jesus' people. So can I just encourage you right now that this be a time 
a sweet time as a church where we just recommit to one another. Uh, you know, I hear a lot of things as your pastor, and I know there's bitterness between different members of the church. I know that there's things that have happened years ago. Um, uh, if we rightly understand this table, it's the time where we drop all that. Um, it says in Matthew chapter 5, it says, You have heard that it was said, those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders is liable to judgment. But I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. And he goes on and he says this, If you are offering your gift at the altar, this is what we're doing. We're offering ourselves again unto God for his service. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. This is first go. Be reconciled with your brother, then come offer your gift. I'm not going to do it today, but wouldn't it be great if before communion we just stopped and said, if you have something during the time when we're preparing our hearts, preparing worship, if you have something against someone in this church, will you go to them and ask for forgiveness? And we will offer forgiveness freely. Why? Because we realize that Jesus Christ's body and blood was broken and spilled for our salvation? How do you think that would change the culture of our church? Not only our church, but churches across our great nation. We'd be a people who were humble and forgiving because we understood rightly what this table means. Well, let me just um, encourage you with this one last verse before we celebrate the Lord's Supper. John 13, 34, and 35 is that this table is not just for us. It's for the outside world. Jesus said this to his disciples, a new command I give to you. You should love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So when we come to the table, if we make a commitment again to love each other, to love each other, not those people who are in your Sunday school class, the people you don't even know, Right? The people who have hurt you, who have offended you, if you commit to love them the way the Bible says, people will know that you are a true Christian, that we are a true church. And guess what will happen? They will want to become a part of it for God's glory. Amen?